Hi friends, welcome to the Kansas City MomCast, a place to learn, connect, and grow in a relevant and intentional way. We're your hosts, Sarah and Megan. Join us as we interview experts in the field and hear from local moms just like you. This is a podcast for Kansas City moms by Kansas City moms. We know that your time is precious and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some of it with us. Thank you for being a part of the Kansas City Mom Collective community. According to a recent KMBC article, Children's Mercy Hospital sees roughly 24 children in its emergency rooms every day for a mental health crisis. 3,000 children and teens were assessed just last year for a mental health need. In response to this growing need, Children's Mercy Hospital and Clinics is investing $150 million into a new pediatric mental health initiative. Here today to discuss this with us is Dr. Sarah Beals Erickson, Director of Psychology Services and also a clinical psychologist at Children's Mercy Hospital. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Sarah. Welcome. Hi, Megan. Hi, Sarah. It's great to meet you guys. Good to meet you too. Um, So can you start off by telling us a little bit about Children's Mercies, uh, the new initiative surrounding pediatric mental health? Yeah, I'd love to. So the Illuminate campaign, we just announced it, but it's been under works for quite a long time. Um, This is a huge investment, like $150 million. Yeah, right? Like I can't, my eyes kind of cross when I think about how much money <laughs> that is. But I think it's um, our organization and philanthropy with donors and our leadership and our staff just really kind of putting uh, money where <laughs> our mouth is. Yeah. Um, but the the whole point of the Illuminate campaign is we want to shine a light on how serious pediatric mental health needs are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so this comprehensive initiative is basically, um, as as far as we can tell, it's one of the largest ones, It, if not the largest one in the Midwest, but it's going to encompass multiple projects um, and with the goal of impacting up to 80,000 kids over the next five years. Um, yeah, and the goal is to sort of meet needs across the continuum of mental health. So um, there's strategies to try to like get early intervention so that we can prevent um, crises down the line. We're going to increase specialty services. And that's actually where my role in the hospital is um, in the clinic I work in. So having uh, better access for kids to get treatment for mental health. Um, There's also, of course, you know, what informs our treatment is our research and innovation. So how do we reach people? How do we make treatments more effective? Um, So there's an arm of the initiative that's for that. And then we need to expand inpatient hospital care. So ideally, we would work ahead and um, prevent crisis but the reality is, is that it does happen and we need places for people to go um, for, for just brief stabilization. And I believe like in our metro area, the, the number of like beds designated for kids who are in crisis is 
it's laughable. It's it's like I think under 170 beds total for the region. So um, there's a goal to expand and and have that within our um, wheelhouse in our campus at Children's Mercy. So this is sort of like the culmination of um, a lot of people's hopes and dreams to to do better for our kids and to make sure that Children's Mercy has good access and that we're reaching people who really, really need it at all points along the way, whether it's before we want to do preventative stuff or actually treat treat things before they get out of hand, or if it's crisis, get people stabilized. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about um, current trends that you're seeing across the country with children and adolescents and mental health? And then how does that compare to what you're seeing in Kansas City? Yeah. Um, it's, it's yikes. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. the, the lay version of it. Um, so we know that just like looking at data, even over like the past decade, like there has been increases in rates of anxiety and depression in kids ongoing. Then we had the pandemic, which, you know, we're still like collecting data and I think it'll still take a long time before we fully understand the the impact on that socially, developmentally, mm-hmm. mental health wise. Um, but we know that it, even just at Children's Mercy, like our, <laughs> it's been a huge increase in um, anxiety and depression and mental health struggles. Uh because of the fallout of the pandemic, right? Kids didn't have access to their friends, their hobbies, their teachers, their their standard uh, like way of living. And that was mm-hmm. such a disruption for them. So there's still a lot of catch up that's happening. Um, you know, a lot of times, even if you didn't have social anxiety and were a pretty outgoing kiddo before, the pandemic, uh, a year or two at home and being told, you know, social distance, all that stuff that we needed to do. Um, it, they're anxious again, cause they're now, cause they're out of practice. So mm-hmm. it, so really what we see overall is just increasing at, at, a a pretty intense rate, uh, particularly for anxiety and depression with our teens. So nationally, and then that's, definitely true here regionally too. Um, there, there's some data showing that like, okay, in general, about one in five kids has some mental health need. Uh, but then if you look even further, sort of like who actually gets treatment, only the estimates are, are still variable, but only about 30 to 50% are actually receiving care or treatment mm-hmm. for this. And that's nationally. But then if we look at KC, it's even worse. It's 40 to 50% are going untreated. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Do you have any so, personal theories on that? Personal theories. Think, <laughs> Tell us um, your personal theories. Yeah. No, I think honestly it has to do with kind of like, uh, you know, here in the metro, you know, it's definitely more um, suburban, urban. However, if you look broader at like, even on the tail, on the tails of our our metro area, there's just scarcity of providers. So there's Mm. just not enough people to see all the kids that need it. I think nationally, the stat is like, there's only 10 child psychologists per 100,000 kids 
in the U.S. So even if I cloned myself and worked 24-7, I'm, I'm still not making a huge dent in that on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you look sort of locally for, for Missouri, especially with some of our like more rural counties, there, there's um, a, a shortage here, you know, in the middle of the country, 99 of Missouri's counties are designated as like a mental health uh, professional shortage area, 101 of Kansas's 105 are also designated a mental health professional shortage. So it's, I think part of it has to do with the, the increase in need, but the workforce hasn't been able to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like everybody, um, at least my providers that we use in our family that are mental health providers, there's always a wait list. So anytime I refer, you know, I have friends say, you know, Oh, you know, do you have a, you know, child therapist you recommend? I'm like, Oh yes, we we love ours. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, Oh, she's not taking new, new clients. Yes. Um, my therapist, I don't think is taking new clients. I mean, it's just, they're so overrun. And I think especially, I think mental health is such an easy thing to be like, well, we'll just kind of kick the can down the road back burner because um, yeah. I don't have like a broken arm or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not something that seems to need an immediate, um, immediate attention when in reality, like my, we're talking about today, um, it does a lot of times it does need more immediate yeah. attention. So it's, it's tough. Yeah. You can kick it, kick the can down the road for a while maybe, yeah. but like at some point it's going <laughs> to catch up and Absolutely. you're so right. The, the wait lists situation is just so demoralizing. I I think both, both on like, um, family's end, right. Cause when you finally decide and you get brave and your teen agrees, like, yeah, I think I will talk to somebody. Well, now we have to wait. Right. And then as a, as a provider, you know, like anytime, Oh, anytime I have like a spot that's unfilled or like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's, you just feel the weight of everybody waiting for their turn. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. It's it's really tough. Um <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah. It's it's an issue. So changing topic a little bit, what what role do genetics play in mental health? Yeah. Um and then are you know, or are some kids just more prone um based on personality or, you know, any other given factors? Yeah. So um I'm always really careful with this topic because sometimes when we say like, yes, there's a genetic uh component to this, um, I what I see a lot of times in my practice and working with uh parents especially is then they turn that into like a stick to beat up on themselves with. Like, great, mm. now I passed on these mm-hmm. terrible genes and my child's uh, anxiety is all my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so here's sort of like the the general thought on that. There absolutely is a genetic component, but it's not genes alone that result in uh, mental health struggles. So, um, I don't want any like uh, Casey Mom Collective uh, mamas out there being like, "Great, I had anxiety, and so now my child is doomed. Um, what have I done?" Like slow that. Um, there, the, the general idea, uh, with, and it's going to vary based off different disorders. It's going to vary based off of like what research you look at or which, which symptoms you're looking at. But in general, the idea is like, yes, there is some genetic pre- predisposition. Some people just may have a little bit stronger of a history of that in their 
families. So we think, yeah, okay, there, there's likely um, some risk that comes from that. However, the general model is that just because you have genetic risk doesn't necessarily mean that that's uh, a for sure sign that your, your kiddo is going to have that exact same diagnosis or that it will look exactly the same. The model a lot of times is called like a diaphysis stress, which means you may be genetically predisposed to it, but it may not show up in t- unless the, the environmental conditions are right. So it may not be something that comes up even if you have depression running in your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if your child has some really good protective factors that counteract a lot of stress, it may not show up in the same way or it may not even show up at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is that like, even if you have some genetic risk that risk may not be like, quote unquote, turned on unless the the situation or stressors, trauma kind of um, bring that to surface. Um, so, and there's actually like a lot of work on this still ongoing. We have a study at Children's Mercy that is actually looking at, at genetics and, and um, trying to determine like how to help kids get like a quicker response to antidepressant medication, which, um, based off of their genes. So that's the piece of like genetics in, um, pediatric mental health that I'm most excited about because, uh, I don't want the, the message to be like, well, great. <laughs> we're, we're all right. Well, cause you know, we're, what do we have control over? We don't have control over which genes we pass to our kids or what yeah. we were given, you yeah. know? Um, but we do have control over like, okay, well, based on those genes and based on my individual child, what's going to be the best medication that serves them if they need it. Um, mm-hmm. and the thing I always think about, like I said, with, with genetic, um, sort of conversations around it is it's not like totally predestined. So even if, yep, there, I was, I was thinking about that right. word too. Yes. Right. Like, Oh, okay. Like it, uh, it is not, written. It is, it is carved <laughs> in a tablet. Mm-hmm. There's no, it's, it's written down in blood. You know, like it's no, no, no. Um, because like I said, there can be a lot of pre- protective factors and even, um, what, what we model for our children as far as like coping makes a big difference as well. So, um, I really like, I, I warned you guys psychologists, so I'll have long winded answers. No, it's fascinating. (laughs) I talk about this all day. Yeah. Right. But I think that's always the piece that I want people to keep in mind is not predestination. There may Mm -hmm. be a little extra risk when I meet new families. I do ask about like, Hey, what are, what, um, what mental health history has been kind of documented in the family just so that mm-hmm. we can have some awareness. But I never take that as like, Oh, well, shoot, this family is in trouble now. Right. Like, mm-hmm. the, cause there's no matter what the genetic risk is, there are still interventions, protective factors, environmental strategies, the support parents give that can make a big difference too. I think it's, I think it's important to like as moms to remember um, to not completely project on our yes. kids too. Yeah. Um, I was in a mom group, I don't know, at some point in my nine year career. Um, and a mom was saying, um, you know, her daughter is exactly like her. It's a copy paste, (laughs) you know, literally like it's, you know, people, you know, say like mini me, all this, which is like cute and fine. But like when you're talking about in the context of mental health, it's like, 
I think we have to be careful not to be like, oh, well, they're, oh gosh, yeah. just like me. Well, no, like they are their own person yes. still. Asi- yeah. Apart from you, you may struggle with some of the same things, but it is not your story. It is your kid, their own situation that they're dealing with and navigating. Yes. I think like, that's so t- that kind of helps us remain stable, maybe yes. <laughs> a little bit <Yes>. more. <laughs> yeah. And no, like, okay, even if this was my struggle, right? Because like, if it was... Oh, if you think back, like, oh man, I really struggled in high school. I was so anxious. Mm-hmm, or I mm-hmm. had that. I can, and I do see this in my practice. A lot of parents with fear, as you know, their kids eighth grade going into ninth grade. Like, what if they spiral? What if it happens? And, yep. um, and you know, like we could get stuck on the what ifs for a long time. But you're so right. Like, even if they look exactly like you and they share a ton of your genes, like mm-hmm. the time of life that they're growing up in, like the things that, um, the, the access of social media, the way, how quickly we become sort of addicted to our smartphones. Like some of the stuff wasn't there when a lot of parents were, were growing up or the situation may be very different. So that definitely has an effect. I think even if they look like copy paste, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a, there's a lot going, it's it's an iceberg, right? We see the tip of it, but internally there's a lot that's different too. But yeah, I think that's a great strategy for, for remembering like, okay, even if I struggled, I have not, uh, predestined my child to suffer in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a shift. Um, can you, you kind of touched on this briefly, but what are some factors? I mean, we talked about COVID and genetics, but are there other things like at a, either a family level or a society level that you're seeing might be contributing to this uptick in mental health concerns? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was recently some, some data that came out and it like matched sort of what I'm seeing clinically, which is always nice because then I'm like, Oh, I'm not crazy. That makes sense. (laughs) Validating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think the amount of social media use, Mm -hmm. um, and just the access of it for, for our kids and teens is, unprecedented right like Mm -hmm. there's so many different services uh you can fall i have so many teens that fall down um a constant scroll of tiktok and they look and they're like oh my gosh i've been in bed scrolling for like four hours Mm -hmm. right so i think the other thing about social media is it gives access or or i think can make folks feel like they have to be quote unquote on and always presenting their best selves and they can't ever have downtime or a break uh, if they always have to post it or be responding. So I think that adds a lot of stress. I think too, if you think about like bullying, like before, like constant social media, like kids could get kind of a break from um, rumors or, or, or bullies like at home, but now, you know, you get every notification on your phone. Um, and, and they don't get that same break. I think there's also, you know, I want our kids to be like informed citizens. However, like with just access to constant news and media, Mm -hmm. it's, you don't really get a, a break. And if you think about like, there's a lot of things that are, a lot of teens that I see really struggle with these big existential questions like, oh my gosh, like I read about climate change and what does that mean for my future and my goals? Or they read about social justice movements and they they really take that to heart. Like um, 
and so there's just these broad, I would say social media, um, broad kind of societal changes. Uh, and then of course, I mean, I don't want to like keep beating the same drum, but like the pandemic for sure was, I mean, like it's unprecedented, I think in like our lifetimes Mm -hmm. as there's been something that's shook, shook our way of living in, in such a, a big way. And I know a lot of people like, um, you know, emergency uh, mandates are over and many, many people are no longer masking. Um, We stopped masking at Children's Mercy in May. um, And the joke I've heard is some people said, oh, we thought you guys would never stop masking, right? Like we (laughs) kept it for a long, long time. Uh Um, And so I think like that's still, um, we're still going to have fallout from that, that we're still kind of understanding as we go. So I think those are a lot of like the big trends. The other thing that, that I think you were talking about, like, what about like family sort of uh, variables? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's going to happen in like every family that I think makes it a challenge for mental health is you were talking about like, Oh, my mini me, my copy paste. Right. (laughs) Well, when they're teens, they really, it's developmentally healthy and typical for them to individuate, for them to start being a little bit more of their own person and their brains actually shift in their thinking. So they actually can push back and think a little more hypothetically um, and think deeper about things, which is why they're like, instead of being like, yes, mommy, they're like, no, why should I do that? What's the reason for that? Right. So Mm -hmm. as, um, as yikes, as that feels in the moment, it is a sign of like, healthy brain and development for them. But that is like a trial that I think every family, and it's going to be different across uh, the, the, the different like preteen and teen years uh, as, as they cruise on to uh, young adulthood is like, well, what, what is, (laughs) what is mine? What is my kiddos? Where, Mm -hmm. where do we navigate? How do they be? I let them be their own person. So I just see that, and I think probably every child psychologist sees that as a, a stage where I think it's really easy for there to be increased conflict, for there to be less connection between mm-hmm. parents and teens. Um, not because it's anybody's fault, but because like naturally that has to happen. They're they're supposed to kind of um, f- start forming their own tribes. <laughs> yeah, with, uh, right. Separate. Right, and they need to separate a little bit, yeah. but not so far that they're unreachable. So I think. If the if I had to like pick my top several, I think those would be the things, right? Uh, social media, constant news cycle, mm-hmm. uh, no break from bullying, um, and then just the, the 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 core challenge of adolescent <laughs> development. <Right>. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm like la- I, I think I'm laughing because it's like um, are you living ups- this? nervous upset laughter yes, like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sounds great yeah. are you living that right now I don't know I, I haven't no, looked at you got, no so my oldest is almost nine okay Sarah's oldest is almost 12 yeah. so we're okay. starting we're, we're on the but you'll, we're on the you'll be ready I don't we'll, know Sarah's gone <laughs> before me and it's great 
I'll use uh, these podcasts as like personal I know. <laughs> guidance. Like really, it's just me and you in a room. You're just giving me advice. I know. <laughs> it's a free appointment. Oh my That's gosh. right. <laughs> um, okay, Dr. Sarah, so why is kind of an I don't know, maybe kind of a no-brainer question, but why is early intervention important with kids before they reach the teenage years? And what can parents do or what can we be doing now? Yeah. And I was thinking about that, right? Like with just the ages of, of your guys' kiddos, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, it, it's like such a great time because um, it, there's also kind of some big developmental shifts that happen in like brain and reasoning and logic and understanding for your like uh, nine to 12 year olds Mm -hmm. so the the short answer is is if we can catch stuff early we can prevent uh more severity or or decrease like how prolonged suffering is right um some like we were talking about like there there being be some kids that just they've got some genetic risk they they have some challenges in their life maybe they've had something traumatic uh so we know that there may be a, a risk for more anxiety, depression, mental health struggles in the teen years. So sort of establishing early on that, hey, you can come to me and we can talk about these things and it's okay for you to be sad, mad, or any of your challenging feelings. I will hear it. I will help you think through those, right? Not because you're not allowed to feel those feelings, but because there's space for it here, right? So mm-hmm. the the support that you give now and the openness you have around kind of emotions sets the stage for them uh, in the teen years to know like, yeah, I have watched the adults in my life's model. Oh, this was really frustrating. Mommy needs to go take a break. I'm going to do a couple mm-hmm. deep breaths, right? Like that sometimes is more powerful than instruction, right? Like, yeah. you know, the saying like actions speak louder than words, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the stuff that we do as the, the loving adults around our kiddos, um, sets them up for gives them suggestions and ideas for what they can do uh as they keep moving and and yeah if we catch things early um the idea is too that like some of the younger kids that I work with my hope is always that if we establish these skills now when they're younger they're set like I meet some adults that haven't had a chance in life uh to even practice even some some sort of like basic coping skills and have just had to like you know white knuckle through life um Mm -hmm. but i've got you know eight-year-olds who have already learned like at least 10 different coping skills and they have that as they go into um like more challenging social situations in middle school and high school so the idea is just sort of like prepare putting little tools in their backpack as they just keep going along the rest of their their childhood and into young adulthood um i've been doing this long enough now that i've had like the benefit of like some of my some of my patients are (laughs) it definitely helps me feel really old um but they're they're adults now or Mm -hmm. um uh, every once in a while I'll run into somebody, uh, like, Hey, I saw you like five years ago. Right. And it's always so reinforcing to know like, Oh yeah, I still use some stuff that we talked about. I still remember coming to your office. Yeah. It's, um, and you know, like some, that's like one of the hard things sometimes about being a, a child psychologist is like when, I'm working to not see you anymore. (laughs) So that you don't need me. (laughs) And then I, I sort of like, 
put it out into the universe and hope for the best that that something stuck <laughs> and that you can retain the skills. Um, and it's awesome when I, when I can see that. So um, long story short for the early intervention piece, it's, it's so that we can catch suffering early, not prolong it and just build, build good tools for adjustment throughout the rest of life too. That's great. So our, can you offer some words of encouragement for families that are listening that might be navigating mental health challenges or are feeling nervous about navigating this in the future? Yeah, absolutely. That was the thing I was thinking too, as I was like telling you guys like, Ooh, it's really bad. (laughs) It's bad. Um, So as, as daunting as like the statistics are, as, as overwhelming and miserable as it can feel when you're, kiddo is struggling and you're at a loss. Um, I, I say this all the time to my, my families that I work with, but do you guys remember like, or have you seen the like hang in there poster? That's like a kitten hanging on a little string. Uh I always tell them, I wish I had something less cliche to say Mm -hmm. than kitten poster hang in there. Uh But that honestly, I say it because it's true on a, on multiple levels, like for, for my kids and teens, even when you're at your lowest, like our thoughts and our emotions are temporary experiences. And even if you're in a funk for a long time, Mm -hmm. if you can write it out, if you can hang in there, we don't know what the future holds. Sometimes anxiety and depression make us uh, assume doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Often they do, but we really don't know. So that actually leaves the door open for good things, (laughs) not just terrible things to come, come down the road. And it's our body and our nervous system is not meant to stay in the same state all the time. So like panic attacks do end. They don't feel like they will, right? Mm -hmm. But they definitely do. Um, Depression can improve. Anxiety can improve. The other thing I remind people too is like, I would have quit this a long time ago if I didn't see people get better. That would be- It's a great (laughs) point. Yeah. Demoralizing (laughs) to just watch- to watch people suffer all the time. I see people get better. Um, And sometimes I, I get the benefit of that because I meet all kinds of, uh, you know, Susie's, (laughs) they, Mm -hmm. they look different and they're not all named Susie, but I see the same thing over and over. Whereas like Susie and her family, like they, they may feel like they're the only ones who are going Mm -hmm. through this. So hang in there because there's, space for things to change the same thing with parents too like it's like we were talking about the the core challenge of adolescent development um and sorry i keep talking about teens because that's mostly who i see but this is true in earlier stages too um things are always shifting and changing uh in this in this life and it's not a guarantee that it's going to stay stuck forever in this terrible, terrible place. Um, a lot of times too, I like to remind people like there's, there's this concept called post-traumatic growth, which means that when you live through something really challenging, your, your heart and your mind change in ways that help you see, oh my gosh, look how strong I am. Look how resilient Mm -hmm. we are as a family, as how, 
how well my kid can just get through trials, right? I think sometimes we think life is, uh, oh, it's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to go smooth. But mm-hmm. that was never a guarantee. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And, but what we can do is continue to kind of surf those waves as they come and we grow stronger as we do that. So I always like try to remind people of the kitten poster. <laughs> and, <laughs> as and we I, 1993 classroom yes, or something. Yes, yes. I love it. Uh, maybe I should get a tattoo of it. I, I <laughs> that much. Um, and I fully invite both my, my teens and, and the parents to roll their eyes at me like, oh, Sarah, stop being such a dork. <laughs> but I think there's truth to it just b- based off of what we know about how thoughts and emotions are temporary experiences and that so many things change. And, and just like we have continued to survive as a species through so many things, humans at their core are resilient. We are built to adjust, adapt and, and move through things. So as challenging as it is, um, that's what I always want people to remember and that you're not alone. Like that mental health, I mean, and that's part of the experience, right? Like it's one of the things that happens when we're very anxious is we get worried that we're the only one thinking or feeling this way or with depression, Mm -hmm. we might feel withdrawn and isolated. But the reality is, is there's so many people, right? One in five kids, right? So Mm -hmm. on your block, (laughs) there's got to be at least some other families that are, that are experiencing this too in my own family, right? Like yeah. you like your in-laws or your uh, extended family, right? Like, so I think remembering like not alone, we are resilient and we have data that treatment works. Like it mm-hmm. makes a difference. So, so uh, both actual, like, you know, randomized clinical trials, but then also me telling you that I would have quit a long time ago. Right? Oh yeah. 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 That's so great. So great. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah. This has been amazing. I'm just sitting here just pondering, pondering life. <laughs> put it, put a kitten poster up. I, w- uh, yes. you know, I will. I'm going to go on eBay and I'm going to look up 1994 classroom <laughs> kitten <laughs> hanging from thread. <laughs> no, it is actually, that is a great, that's a great visual that I will, I will now remember. So Dr. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. This has been so helpful and valuable and encouraging and informative all in one. So thank you so much. And thanks for all you're doing and for our Kansas City teens and kids and families. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for just like opening the door for this conversation. The more we talk about it, the less stigmatized it is. And thanks for just supporting all the Casey uh, parents out there. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks. Yay. Bye. Thank you again for spending part of your day with us. We would love for you to share this podcast with other Kansas City moms, as well as rate and review, as this helps others find us. We would also love to hear from you, whether it's to share what you loved about today's episode, an idea for a future topic, or just to tell us how you're doing. We are here for you. You can email us anytime at kcncpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time on another episode of Kansas City Momcast.